Well, Benjamin Franklin, as we all know, uh, certainly is one of the most significant figures in uh, the history of our country. I think we all have read about him, know about him. We know that he was an intellectual giant, uh, somebody who was capable of great things, accomplished great things. But when he was 27 years old, he became frustrated with what he termed his own moral mediocrity. And so he set out to identify different areas that he needed to focus on. And he listed 12 different areas uh, of attitude and action that needed improvement. And before he um, embarked on, on this, he got one of his friends who knew him well, and he asked him to look over his list. And he said, these are 12 things that, that I think I need to focus on in, in order to overcome this uh, mediocrity that I'm feeling in regard to my morality. And his friend looked over the list, and then he had some feedback for him. And this is, this is what uh, uh, Franklin said in his autobiography that he wrote. He said, he kindly informed me that I was generally thought proud, that my pride showed itself frequently in conversation. And so he added a 13th virtue to his list, and that was humility. And, you know, I, I, I read that story and I thought, man, how often do we maybe not even recognize if we are lacking in the area of humility, we probably don't know it, right? And today we are going to uh, dive into a passage in just a little bit that, that will uh, help us to see the importance of humility when it comes to serving like Jesus. We know that Jesus talked about this topic a lot. Uh, one example of that is Matthew 23, 11 and 12. Jesus said, The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's not the only place where Jesus talked about this, but one of the things that I love so very much about how Jesus taught was that he didn't just give information, but he lived it. He modeled it. And today we're going to look at an example not of Jesus talking about humility, but of Jesus actually modeling this character uh, quality through his service, because we're talking about serving like Jesus. And we actually wrap up uh, our series on that today in John chapter 13. So turn with me in, the, in, in your Bible, if you would. This will be a passage that I'm sure for many you're, you're, you're probably familiar with. John 13, starting in verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, the, the thing that, well, there's a bunch of stuff that jumps out to me from that passage, but one of the things that, that really I find most uh, maybe difficult to wrap my mind around is verse 2. Because it tells us in verse 2 that Judas... Judas Iscariot had already decided to betray Jesus. And if we were to uh, read down a little bit further in this passage, I think it's somewhere around uh, verse 11, is it? Where it says he knew who was going to betray him. We find out Jesus knew this. 
This was not a surprise to him. He knew that Judas was about to betray him. And yet, Jesus washed all the disciples' feet, including Judas. Can you imagine being in a position of humbly serving someone who's about to do to you what Judas did to Jesus? And so, here's the the main thought for today as we talk about serving like Jesus, and that is that serving like Jesus requires tremendous humility. It requires tremendous humility. We see that in Jesus himself, the humility it took to to wash anybody's feet, we'll get into that here in a minute, but included in that group is the traitor, and Jesus washed his feet as well. So um, astounding how much humility Jesus demonstrated here uh, in, this, in this passage. And so we're going to look at that, and then we're going to obviously look at some points of application of, okay, this is what Jesus did, but how does this apply to us? This is what we need to do uh, as a result of that. It, it starts the chapter by letting us know that Jesus knew, it says, the hour had come. So he knows that time is short. He knows what's in front of him. He even knows that Judas is about to betray him, as we said Uh, And then it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He found a way to express his love as the end was approaching in maybe one of the most memorable ways that that he could, uh, aside, of course, from the cross that he was about to go to. But up until that point, this had to be one of the most memorable experiences they had that just communicated the love that Jesus had for his disciples. And so as we talk about what does it look like then to have this humility, to put it into practice, to serve like Jesus, well, here's the first thing that I see here is this: we, we, we must serve as an expression of our love. That's, that was his motivation. And there, if we're being honest, there are a lot of things that can motivate us to serve, right? It can be done uh, by threat of force. I mean, that was the case in Jesus' day. You know, you were, you were forced sometimes to do things, the whole thing about going the extra mile. You know, you could be forced to carry for a mile uh, a, a Roman soldier's gear and things like that. And he says, go the extra mile. But, I mean, you could be forced into service. That has unfortunately happened and still continues to happen in certain places in the world today through things like slavery and, and, and other practices like that. You can be paid to be in an area of service, and maybe some of you, that's your job. You're in what would be termed a service industry. You can be guilted into service. Anybody ever experienced that before? I wonder, and I won't ask you to raise your hand on this one, but I wonder if any of you grew up in a home where guilt was the primary motivator to get you to do things. Right? Okay, we're raising hands anyway. Like, I don't care. That's me. I just, yeah, there we go. Yeah, you get that. And guilt can be a powerful motivator, can it? But what I see in Scripture and, and, and what we've been talking about, even in the church, by the way, guilt can be a powerful motivator. That's why I keep coming back every week and saying that the, the point is not that, that we'd be motivated by guilt, but as we see here, we're motivated by love. Jesus didn't serve his disciples out of guilt. He served them because he loved them. But, but if you have ever experienced that and maybe kind of lean toward that whole guilt being the motivation to serve and to do, um, 
The next question on that is how long does that motivation last? Only as long as the guilt lasts, right? So that means that when the guilt starts to wear off, what do you have to do? Pour on more guilt. And so there's this ongoing cycle of just continually, you know, got to pour it on, got to pour it on, got to pour it on to keep going. Well, if you're motivated by love, that's a different story. Especially if we're motivated by the love that we, that we have for God, the love that we receive from God, because there is no end to that, right? It's this ongoing, it's just this circle. We continue to be loved, and His mercies are new every morning, and we experience God in fresh ways uh, every single day. And so if that's our motivation, then we don't, it doesn't run out, and we're able to continue going. Certainly, that was Jesus' motivation here. And I love uh, the fact that, that it says that, that Jesus loved them to the end. Uh, by the way, before we get off the whole guilt thing, there is, I think it's important to say this, there is a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt generally leads you to feeling worse about yourself. Conviction that God brings, because sometimes we're out of line and God needs to bring conviction, right? Conviction helps us to align ourselves with God. And so that doesn't make you feel worse about yourself. That actually leads you to a point of feeling better about who you are. And so there's, there's a purpose. It moves us in the right direction. Where guilt just would cause you, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person and you just feel bad. Conviction leads to action, which aligns us with God. And that's a good thing. So, uh, but Jesus is loving his disciples. Don't you think that you can tell when somebody is serving you or serving others out of love. I mean, you know that, right? When somebody really loves you and their service is motivated by that, there, there's just something different about that. And I've just, I've been thinking about that a lot this week in, in studying this passage and all that. How remarkable is it? That was the motivation of Jesus. He genuinely loved his disciples. It says that over and over again. I mean, it makes that really, really clear in verse 1, that he was loving them, loving them even to the very end. That was his motivation. And it just made me think, man, I want, that to, I want to be the same way. I want to be so filled with love for God and love for people that that's just what comes out of me. And, and, and people know that. And we know that when we're being loved by somebody, that that is, uh, that is their motivation. So... That's not easy to do. I mean, it, you know, it, to, to serve others is never an easy thing to do. And especially to put yourself in a position of humility, as we'll get to in a minute, talking about washing feet. I think we all get that, right? That would be a very humble act of service. So how does Jesus get to that point? I, I love that it points this out in verse 3. I mean, just right in the middle of this, this almost seems like it could be a misplaced verse unless we realize... The point that the, the connection that, that we have here. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Well, what does that have to do with Jesus washing feet? It has everything to do with it because it says that, that he was so secure in who he was and his role and what God's plan was. That's what freed him up to serve. And so here's the second thing that will allow us to have humility to serve, and that is to be secure in our identity. If we know who we are, then that frees us up to serve. Now, obviously, Jesus is a little different situation because who he was was God. That's not us. And so, yeah, you can be really secure in your identity if your identity is that I am the creator of the universe. But 
You know what your identity is if you're a follower of Jesus? Is that you're a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe. You belong to God. You're a part of the family of God. And so there's incredible security that comes in that. If I know who I am and I know that my identity is tied to what God thinks about me and what God says about me and what God knows to be true, then I can kind of let some of that other stuff go, you know? And I don't have to worry about that. And I don't have to worry about those things that can kind of get in the way of our service. You know, there are so many different ways that we could find our identity, especially now. I mean, you can find your identity in uh, your physical appearance, in your intellect, in your financial status. You could find your identity in how many friends or followers you have on social media. You could find your identity in what type of job you perform or uh, your, your role as a spouse or a parent or a grandparent or whatever. I mean, there's so many different ways that we could find our identity. But if we understand who we are as sons and daughters of God, that's, that's a game changer. It really is. Because th- there's freedom that comes from that. You know? and, th- and here's the thing about that. If my identity is tied to God... The Bible says that God is the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change, right? And so if my identity is tied to a God who is unchanging, then it's not going to be back and forth. And is this up or down or, you know, do I have more money in the bank or less money in the bank or, you know, more friends or less friends or whatever it may be. And so our identity being tied to who God is is, is, is huge. I was listening to a podcast this week and uh, this is somebody who had been in ministry for many, many years, and, and he, uh, he said this. He said, a friend had challenged him several years ago with this question. If your ministry and your influence over others were taken away from you, would your relationship with Jesus be enough to satisfy you? I thought, that's, that's a powerful question, especially for those of us in ministry, you know, because your identity can get tied to what you do and, and, and people that you're able to impact and things like that. And he said, if all of that were taken away, would just your relationship with Jesus be enough? That's a good question to think about. If everything else in your life were taken away from you and it's just all flushed down the toilet all at once, are you secure in who you are just because Jesus is enough? And if that's the case, if we can get to that point of feeling like, you know, I'm, I am secure just in who I am as a child of God, then I'm totally free to serve at that point. I'm free to do it, and it can be motivated by love and things like that, not by all this other stuff. But, you know, if I'm focused on building myself up in front of others or I'm focused on, you know, I've got to climb the ladder and that might mean that I have to step on a couple of people on my way up or whatever it may be, um, you know, we're not going to feel the same freedom to serve people like Jesus was serving his disciples here. So that's a big one is... Understanding our identity, especially when it comes to uh, a, a task like washing feet. I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot think of many things more gross than to wash the feet, especially of, of you know, strangers. I mean, think about the servants that did this on a regular basis. Jesus, at least as his disciples, but that may have been even worse. I don't know, because he knew things about them. And so, uh, but, but to wash feet. And of course, in that day... Not only was this just kind of a, uh, a cultural practice, but there was a very practical need for this. 
dusty roads, dirt everywhere, you know, wearing the sandals around like they did. You go over to the Holy Land today, there's still a lot of dirt and dust everywhere. They have paved roads and things like that now that they wouldn't have had back then. But um, just a, just, you know, it doesn't take too much imagination to figure out why it was important to wash the feet of, of somebody who came into a home. And so um, normally that would be done by a servant. That was a servant's job was to wash the feet of the guests that came into the home, but for whatever reason, in this particular situation, that did not happen. And so let's look at what did happen. Verse 4 again says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus saw a need... And he was, he was willing to meet it himself. He, he didn't say, oh, no, that, you know, I'm not going to do that. He just did it. And so here's the, the third thing that I want to spend just a little bit more time on this one. And that is um, that we need to do what needs to be done. Just do what needs to be done. Simple as that. If there is a need, do it. And that's the heart of a servant. Not... Whose job is this? Or is this someone else's responsibility? Or, you know, that I'm not going to do that. We just identify what needs to be done and, and do it. Let me ask you another question. I, wanna, I want you to, to think about this one for a little while. Here's the question. Is there anything, anything that I consider to be beneath me? Anything at all? Is it, I don't know if it's cleaning toilets? Is it... Uh, cleaning house, is it doing your own laundry, your dishes, cutting your, your yard? I don't know what it is, but is there anything you think, oh, well, I, I'm not going to do that? And if there's anything that we would view to be beneath us, then I think we're, we're missing something when it comes to having the humility of Jesus and having the heart of service that Jesus had because he was willing to get in there and, and, and do a a pretty nasty job of washing the disciples' feet. You know, most of us uh, have heard plenty of stories about Navy SEALs. I know in recent years they've kind of uh, become a, a group of interest. And I've read different books, and I kind of went through a little phase, actually, where I was reading uh, different things about their trainings and, and all that kind of stuff, which I find fascinating. But I read something this week that I had not heard before, uh, and that was a little bit of the background of how they came to be. I did not know this. Maybe some of you do know this story. But the Navy SEALs, of course, are an elite group uh, that are kind of known for what really is seemingly superhuman types of, of feats. They, they are the best of the best and you know, are able to accomplish a lot of amazing things. One of the things that, that people probably are familiar with is what is often referred to as Hell Week. That's the training they go through, and they push them. And if you want some fascinating reading, go, go read a book about some of their trainings. The, I mean, unbelievable, the, the mental and physical torture that they go through in order to prepare them for the things that, that they're, um, they're going to be faced with. Uh, well, what I discovered this week was that all of this goes back to a guy by the name of Draper Kaufman. He was born in 1911, and he was the son of a legendary naval 
admiral, admiral, and uh, he graduated himself from the Naval Academy in 1933, but his eyesight, he had poor eyesight, that kept him from becoming a commissioned officer. So he actually ended up uh, going to work uh, for a shipping company. Uh, when World War II began to approach, he became a driver for the American Volunteer Ambulance Corps. I'd never heard of this thing, but, but it was a thing. And so he would drive uh, in the midst of some very dangerous situations. While he was there, he met a group of French soldiers. It's called the, the, the Corps Franc. And this was a group of soldiers that really captivated his mind and imagination because they, they, were, they operated like what we now would say that the Navy SEALs did. They would go in behind enemy lines. They would take prisoners. They would wreak havoc. They would do things. They, but they worked with such precision together. And that's the part. They had this incredible bond among them. They loved each other deeply. They worked as one unit. And it, it really got Kaufman's attention. Well, uh, part of what he did there was he became an expert in um, detonating or getting rid of uh, bombs and di uh, disassembling bombs and things like that. And so they uh, called him to do some training. They wanted to do some training for a particular group of people. And he modeled his training after what he had seen in the Corps Franc. And they would do weird things like take massive telephone poles and lift them up and, and do exercises, which if you know anything about SEAL training, that's one of the kind of iconic things that they do. They lift these massive telephone poles and have to maneuver them and do all this stuff together. Um, that's where he got that. That's where he got uh, a couple of other things. And he decided that there would be, uh, in addition to doing their training week, this hell week, they decided there would be two other things that he would do. One is that every aspect of the training would be team-based. So there would be no individual training. And number two, he would eliminate hierarchical distinctions between officer and enlisted men. So that meant when it came time to do the training, the officers were doing it with them. Now, I would love for somebody who knows to tell me if that's still the case today because I couldn't find that and figure it out. So maybe you just fill me in on that later if you know the answer to that. But I know that when they started out, they would all do it. And I want you to listen to a quote from someone from that very first class that Kaufman put together. This is what he said. He said, we were testing him, talking about Kaufman. We were testing him all along, but my respect for him deepened because a lot of officers will tell you what to do but they won't do it themselves. He participates in everything. The dirtiest, rottenest jobs that we tackle, he is in there doing as well as the rest of us. How could you not respect him? See, what he's saying is, how do you not respect a leader who says, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and do every single thing I'm asking you to do? Yeah. That's what we're... That's what we're talking about today in Jesus. That's what servant leadership, it's, it's the biblical principle of servant leadership. That's what this is. That's what we see Jesus doing. He's modeling this for his disciples. He's saying, there is nothing beneath me. There's nothing that I'm going to ask you to do that I'm not willing to do myself. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because the disciples at first, their response, we'll get to their response in, in, in just a minute real quickly, but it caught them off guard, right? So it's evident that Jesus didn't wash their feet every place they went. This was a unique circumstance, but there was a need. 
Jesus saw the need and he stepped up and, and he met that need. Um, but that left a, a really strong impression on them, just as it always does. Now, before we move on, I do want to look at um, the disciples' response to this, because there's one more thing I want to, want to share with you along these lines. But let me just, before we get there, let me just uh, pass on something I've been chewing on a little bit this week. Because, you know, one of our core values or things that, that we say we do as a church is that we apply the Bible to real life. So anytime we can take Scripture and a principle in Scripture and say this is how this applies in real life, maybe even in a work setting or even outside of a church setting... This is what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking a lot about culture and the importance of, of having the right culture uh, for a church, for our staff, you know, those kinds of things. And so I've been reading a book called Culture Code. It's, it's been a really, really good book. But uh, one of the things that, uh, that I came across in that book was they give examples of different companies. There's a, a company called IDEO. I have no idea, to be honest, anything about them. But I do know this, that written into their what we would call a handbook. They call it something a lot more uh, catchy than that. Uh, but here's a little phrase in there. They said, we collaborate and make others successful. Going out of your way to help others is the secret sauce. And that phrase, I've said it probably three or four times our staff said, like, yeah, you keep saying that this week. Because that, that is so stuck with me. Going out of your way to help others is the secret sauce. That, that's so Right. You do that, and, and we're not even just talking about your spiritual development. I'm just telling you, in life, in your job, in what you do, if you go out of your way to constantly help others, it's gonna, it's, you, you're going to reap the benefit of that. Because it's biblical. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what we see him doing. Now, let's... Let's keep reading verse 6 through 9 because I want us to, to see one more thing before we wrap it up here. It can be difficult to humble ourselves and serve someone else. Sometimes it can be even harder to let someone else serve you. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now, of course, Jesus goes on and said, You don't need that, and there's, there's more to it. But I, I just want to point this out, that humility requires that we be willing to serve others, but humility also requires that sometimes we be willing to let others serve us. And you tend to be on one side or the other. And I'm just going to tell you, I think the majority of you, because I think highly of you, and, 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 and I think you all are amazing people, I think the majority of you probably understand the importance of serving others. If that's your mindset, and if that's what you're always doing, you might have a hard time being served sometimes. And that's important at times as well. And Peter had to set aside what I, you know, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, I get it. I mean, Jesus coming to wash your feet? I, I, who wouldn't respond this way? Like, no, 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 no. Let, let's don't do that, right? But Jesus said, you need to let me do this. It's important to do this. And again, not only did Jesus talk about it, but Jesus modeled it. Do you remember what happened when he was having a meal 
in the home of a Pharisee, and it said that a sinful woman came into that house, and she came over in front of Jesus, and she knelt down at his feet, and she began to cry. And it says that she wet his feet with her tears. She took her hair. She wiped his feet with her hair. It even says that she had perfume, and I would not noticed this before until I reread the passage this week. It said that she rubbed his feet with the perfume. Guys, I'm going to tell you, this is awkward, right? It really is. And I'm thinking to be in Jesus' shoes here, no pun intended, but to be, to be in his situation where a sinful woman comes in, Starts crying at your feet, using her hair to clean your feet, and then starts rubbing your feet with perfume. That is awkward. But Jesus didn't tell her to stop. He didn't send her away. He actually lifted her up as an example because he knew that she was doing this because she loved him. And he had the humility not just to serve other people but in this case, to allow himself to be served, which is the way it should be. All of us who, who believe that Jesus is who we believe he is would say, that's the way it should always be, right? We, we, we should be the one washing his feet and serving him, not the other way around. Um, but Jesus did it. And, and he did it, he said in verse 13, verse 14, actually, um, it says, so that we would do the same thing. Verse 15, keep going. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then I'll, I'll leave with this very last thought here. Verse 17, it says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We always want to end with this application of we got to do, right? There's something that needs to be done. Last week, I was able to share with you some of the needs that we have in our church. We talked about needs in our children's ministry and different ways to serve. Um, and, and I said this week we would come back, and this week we would share a little bit about there are other needs from within our church as well. And I just want to encourage you today um, to take a step forward in your service if you're not serving. And if you are, would you pray with us? that some of those needs will be met. And we talked through this a little bit as a staff and came up with a few things. In fact, uh, there's a, a slide. You want to go ahead and put that up for us. There's even a little QR code there if you want something that you can go to right now and just you know, kind of a way to communicate and say, I'm interested in one of these areas. Um, we obviously talked about children's ministry last week. There are needs and opportunities in our student ministry. Uh, there are needs and opportunities in our audiovisual team because did you know that uh, you know since COVID happened, one of the great things is we're now streaming services and getting it out to people. Well, that requires more people. That requires more volunteers, and so we need some folks that are willing uh, even to to go you know sit up in our little studio upstairs and and be a part of the behind the scenes kind of thing to make sure stuff gets out like it needs to get out and and, and those kinds of things. Um, one of the things that has happened as a result of COVID, which has been a very good thing is that more people have stepped into our regeneration ministry, our recovery ministry. And you can imagine you know, that, that that would be an important ministry at a time like this, as there's a lot of stress out there. We need some mentors, you know, people that can be a part. So just a, a variety of different ways. And we just put that out there for you to say, you know, there are plenty of opportunities to serve. I just want to encourage you to find yours. If you found it already, good, you're good. But find a way to serve, even for those that are joining us at home. Find a way that you can get involved, you can connect, and you can serve. Because, back to what verse 17 said, not because of guilt, not because somebody's trying to pressure you, 
but because Jesus said you'll be blessed when you do this. And we want to be in a place where God's blessing is on us. And as we serve with humility, that's one of the best ways to put ourselves in a place to be blessed by God. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the way that you do serve us so faithfully. Lord, you really do. So grateful for that. And Lord, I pray today that uh, you would help us to, to put into practice what you tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.